Welcome to the LTID Network Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, and on this podcast, we seek out the world's best researchers, coaches, support staff, teachers, and athletes to better understand the process of long-term athlete development. Don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform and 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50. That's LTADVIP50 at the LTAD Network Hub website. This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets. Just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures, or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. Welcome to the LTD Network Podcast. In this episode, Tolshi sits down with Crofton Alexander. Crofton has been an accredited S&C coach with the UKSCA since 2008 and a Level 2 British Weightlifting Association coach since 2006. He started his career at London Wasps Rugby Club in 2006 and was responsible for the physical development of a number of the squad's up-and-coming talents, such as Christian Wade, Sam Jones, Elliot Daly and Joe Launchbury, as well as leading the recovery protocols of the whole squad. Since then, Crofton has worked in tennis, cricket, motorsport and superbikes before turning his hand to academia. He also sat on the board as a director for the UKSCA between 2013 and 2019. He's a workshop tutor and CPD panel member, ensuring that accredited members maintain their accredited status. He obtained a degree in sports science at Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge and a master's in strength and conditioning science from St. Mary's University in Twickenham. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the LTAD discussion with myself and Crofton Alexander. I am so pleased so he can, he's made time um, here tonight. And for those who are watching back on the LTAD network, be sure to let us know um, what you think and any comments. Um, but just to introduce Crofton a little bit, Crofton actually competed as a, a sprinter during his teenage years. He studied sports science and is an accredited strength and conditioning coach since 2008. Crofton also sat on the board of directors for the UKSEA for around seven years. And Crofton's experience includes leading in strength and conditioning for the Edinburgh Rugby Club, as well as their physical performance program. Crofton's also got experience with county cricket before working with racing drivers via Hintza Performance and Honda F1. And now Crofton is at the ARU's Performance Sport Manager. So that's where he's working at the moment. And I'm so grateful we can get Crofton on here. And this is, well, 
coaches are busy, right? So this is exactly why we wanted him on here. So hey, Crofton, how are you? Hi, Toshi. Um, thanks for the introduction. It's always strange hearing snippets of your career read back to you. But um, yeah, thanks to the network for inviting me on, hopefully for some good discussions. I'm always keen to, to talk about these things and um, hear challenging thoughts and, and uh, yeah, see what, where we can get to. So appreciate the invite. Yeah, for sure. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. And so let's just get straight into it. <laughs> let's just go straight into, we've both been through this non-existence work-life balance, right? When coaching. And it's like, it seems to be almost like a rite of passage. When you're a new coach, everyone goes through it. Everyone goes through the busyness and the non-life um, existence when you're learning to be a coach. But then what can new coaches can actually, what can they learn from our experiences without having to go through that rite of passage or that the same struggles that we've been through? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And, I, and I, I think, like in my experience, first off, I don't think there is a, a definitive right or wrong. Um, you know, when you're getting into your career in any discipline, coaching or otherwise, there are always elements of, okay, there are things that I just don't know and it's good for me to take the time to get to grips with that or it's good to actually spend some time in that area. So I think the first thing is you have to be broad. You have to be broad in the environment you're in. Don't just get stuck into your particular area. So... Um, if you are in an SSE role, don't ignore the medical side, don't ignore performance analysis, don't ignore the technical side, like, you know, have conversations with those guys. I think that goes about same. There are maybe a couple of things that I would point to. And for me, I kind of, I sort of, I sort of did this as a, a younger coach, but I, I think as I've progressed and I speak to people, something I'd probably recommend more is try to go into it with an idea of what you want to get out of that role. So, we, you know, we often hear about how lucky we are to get SSC jobs and how difficult it is to get into the industry. Uh, yeah, okay, that's true. But once you're there, how do you maximize the opportunity? And I think one of the ways you can do that is to make sure that you have some tangible outcomes of what do I want to achieve from being in this role? Um, the other thing, which I think is quite important as well, is I always think it's worth a coach saying, like, when I'm in this environment, how am I going to learn and how am I going to develop? And I think it's something that lots of people just assume you're an inexperienced SSC coach. You might be 21, 22, 23 or whatever. It's your first job. Well, you're going to learn by default. And actually, I don't quite think that's true. Like, I do think you, you do need to press a bit and say to the senior people that are around you or your, your line manager, whoever that might be, like, how am I going to develop in this role? Um, what skills are around me that can help me to develop? So I think those are two things that I would look at. And, you know, like a kind of I think a little bit counterintuitive to what I did when I was younger because I was quite focused on um what where I wanted to go and what sport I wanted to work in and yeah. for me it was rugby I felt it was a good learning ground that's not to say that I wouldn't have taken other opportunities but it was important for me to try and get into a sport that I felt I could use and develop um in terms of my skill set I kind of think the, the biggest take home from this I want to say is and I hear it a lot and it, I really I don't like to use the word hate but I dislike it is this notion of you just got to go through the grind you've just got to experience oh it's okay everyone goes through that it's like well no no not everyone does go through that like mm -hmm. I, so my first year in rugby 
you know, I'm working at London Wasps. It's a very successful team, <clears throat> lots of pressure. There's lots going on. And I remember having a conversation with our, with, with our boss around second team games. And, I was, and I, inside of me, I was panicked because I'm thinking, like, I'm doing first team games. And on match days, I'm like operations logistic wizard. Like, I'm going everywhere with the kit man. I'm helping set things up. I've got a role during the game, after the game. But then we've got second team games on the Monday night as well. My boss was like, you're not going to do second team games in your first season because it's a lot for you to do. And there's other jobs that you need to get good at. Some of the more senior coaches looked after the second, second team. And that's some of, the, some of our other points we'll talk about later on. That, that will come back to that. So for me, the weight was taken off my shoulders because it wasn't, yeah, I was the most inexperienced guy. Yeah, I was the lowest paid guy into the team. But I wasn't just given by default all the sort of voluminous jobs, if you like. My, my boss looked after me and made sure that I wasn't doing too much too early. I took it up on myself to do a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't that right, well, you're the, the, the last guy in, you can do everything. And so because of that, like it gave me the confidence and just the time to build up that confidence. Same with my programming. Like I, I originally went in, lots of SNC coaches won't be responsible for programming, they'll deliver. But... I was allowed to develop my kind of programming experience phase by phase, bit by bit throughout the season. So that eventually I was able to um, take over the program and run it successfully as in the academy program. So, yeah, I think for me, it's important that if you're going into a role, particularly your first role, try to identify how it's going to develop you. Don't just assume that because you're working in S&C, you're just going to develop naturally because it's not, if you're, all you're doing is delivering other people's programs, then you're not necessarily going to end up learning lots. You, you may do, but that's almost by um, chance rather than design. And don't be afraid to ask, well, okay, how am I going to develop out of this role? And yeah, the idea that you're young, you might be single, so you just work all the hours. It's like, no, that's, that's how you end up in five years time leaving the industry because you've had enough, you're a bit burnt out, you've become a bit disillusioned, the job that you thought you'd get on hundred grand has not arrived. And, you know, I've seen people coming in and out of the industry for one reason or the other, because they've become disillusioned. So you want to maintain that, 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 that sort of um, appetite for wanting to coach, that appetite for wanting to work in physical performance and, not lose sight of why you you got into it in the first place I love that you said that you said so much within that and it's a lot of food for thought which I love but especially that last bit where you say sometimes you just lose that enthusiasm because as a young coach you do want to say yes to everything and I had the inability to say no so it was like do you want to do this yes do you want to do this yes and it was almost like as soon as I learned how to say no which was only a few years ago in motorsport I took it back because I was like yeah I really shouldn't have said no Ben I I can do it it's fine and that was the point where I reached burnout and and I really like going back just a a second I like the way that you talked about um having an agenda of why are you here what is it that you intend to learn so it's almost like setting a clear intention with the club with the manager with the boss whoever you are accountable to it's almost like don't be afraid to 
set your own intention by saying, yeah, okay, so I do want to work with first team or I do want to lead this eventually. Because if your intentions clash, it's sometimes where you're not learning the right things. You're not going towards that pathway in that right direction, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I think it's, you need to find your own coaching voice, particularly as a younger coach. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things when I get coaches contacting me or asking me, questions they always ask me well what you know how do we do this or what about that and when you put it back on them and say well what would you do <laughs> you know often they don't have they haven't really given it a thought their third their first thought was to ask you now I have my experiences and I've got my skills but I don't know everything and I've not I've not experienced everything so so why why not develop your own mechanism of okay well what what do I what would I do in a situation how do I start to put that knowledge that I've learned you know, most at university, because a lot, a lot of coaches would have gone to university, how can I convert that into practice? Mm-hmm. And give it a go first. Like, don't just go and ask someone how to do it. Give it, you know, may, even if you end up, I, I remember when I first, before I started writing training schedules, um, in terms of training days, recovery days, and so on, I, I spent months writing mock training schedules that mm-hmm. never went anywhere and no one ever saw. But I would challenge myself and look at our season or the phase that we was in and I would just go right well if I was in charge what would I do and I'd sit there in my own time away from everybody else and just write a schedule and all the little things from being able to format it so it looks easy presentable and easy to see to well what's the science behind it when are we putting in recovery days you know how many days we training before um, we have a day off and so on and so I think it's important to to experiment within your own capabilities but you need to have someone that you trust that you can reflect that information with and say, well, here's what I'm working on. Can you give me, can you critique it? And then that person should enter into, okay, well, trying to, rather than pushing information on that person, it's pulling the information out. So mm-hmm. okay, why have you done it like that? Um, have you considered this approach? And, and that way you learn more about yourself as a coach rather than being told what you should, you know, we see lots of information on social media about how to be a good coach. And it's like, well, that's great, but that's that person's interpretation of coaching. What's yours? Mm-hmm. How do you develop your philosophy? How do you develop your ideas? And you're not going to do that by going on social media and following what other people's. If that works for them, great. Nothing wrong with that. But what about what you can do and how you can achieve uh, how you can achieve what you're trying to do? So, yeah, I, I do think there are. There's probably a lot in there to sort of to discuss, really. But I think it is important that as a younger coach you start to develop your own mindset quite early on and you have you know trusted people that are around you that you can talk to and you can bounce ideas off but you have to start generating generating the ideas in the first instance uh, which is for me quite important in a coach's development I always find that when you're in that new environment not only is everything new it's um for me it's having that ability and that vulnerability to speak out because normally it's a you're dictated to not being asked your opinion so I think that sometimes yeah like you said earlier um go there with an intention ask questions um but if it's not a fruitful environment where you can be vulnerable it's probably not the best environment because you're not learning as much as you possibly can um and, and I feel like a lot of coaches end up being stifled and then going in that misdirection. But you also mentioned one other thing before we move on about opportunities. 
um it was so funny because I remember um just before my role with Hintsa I had like had my CV kind of overviewed and they were like well what else are you doing so I'd, I'd worked with different athletes I work as a personal trainer and I was doing all sorts of things and it was only until they looked at there was mostly because I hadn't had my UK SEA by then and I and I finished my master's um and it was funny as well because it was almost a what other plethora of skills from different schools can you offer and sometimes I don't know sometimes people get criticized for being a specialist generalist and not specific enough but I think that sometimes that can serve you especially when you're starting off in the SNC career like in that field it's good to not just have that first team in mind but think of what are the skills can you incorporate from different sports yeah it, you know it, it kind of it makes me laugh when I, I see so much energy going into is SNC a specialism is it are you a, a specialist generalist and it's like does it matter <laughs> like uh, you know the fundamental skills for coaching are being able to communicate with people um being able to understand having empathy um having professional values that you you hold and you 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 stand you you represent that represents you um you know in terms of the direction of travel you want to go in i think that that comes from internal um an internal reflection which you know something we'll talk about later on i think but yeah when i'm when i'm looking at like a graduate coach um, you know, the technical side, I almost think to myself, if you're good at what you do, you do as a coach, as a senior coach, developing someone technically should be quite easy to do because you're supposed to be able to have that experience and the capacity to do that. It's really important for me to look at personal skill sets, to look at personal values. Um, you know, I don't like this phrase, the phrase uh, soft skills. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a way of dampening down the fact that actually those skills, which I refer to as non-technical skills, they're the things you want to look out for in a coach. Like fundamentally, am I bringing in a good person to the environment that has good values, um, that that is got some some element of self-awareness of themselves? Like they might technically have some faults. You'd almost expect that. Like if I'm if I'm doing a, an interview for a, a graduate entry SSC role should i expect to see some 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 limitations in their technical delivery well yeah like i still see limitations in my own technical delivery like and i've been coaching a long time i i should be able to correct those and if i can't then i should know of other coaches or other people that can help develop those but when i what i want to see in the non-technical skills is you have an awareness you have understanding you've got if you're going into work with youngsters it's quite scary the amount of coaches i talked about safeguarding practices and stuff and they have no idea you know, but you're going to go and work with people that come under that safeguarding banner so yeah i think it is important important to develop yourself technically but actually you need to think about your non-technical skill sets even from early in your career mm -hmm. you, you know you can develop your technical knowledge relatively quickly particularly if you've um, got got experienced coaches around you but if you're not able to show empathy when you need it or you're not able to read the room quite quickly or you're not able to manage relationships with different personality types those are the things that will limit you as an snc coach or any practitioner in my opinion because fundamentally your job is to work with people um whether you're 
a graduate SNC coach, a senior SNC coach, a performance director, you're, you're, you're in the people development business, what changes is the mechanism. So yeah, I do think that's important. I think sometimes people get caught up with the sort of the non-important stuff. Um, yeah. Great, great answer. And uh, going back to a little bit digging deeper now, well, no. we we're talking about creating a pathway for coaches. Okay, so traditionally, coaches volunteer or start off as within grassroots sports, yeah. so teams with little or no budget. But how would you say this structure can change in ways of youth and grass? roots benefiting the most we had a conversation offline about this and it's so interesting what you what you came out with <laughs> yeah some to some maybe interesting to some and maybe scary to others but <laughs> like I think it's I don't think anyone's nailed it like when you look at different sports you know the e triple p system within footballs it's, it's given a lot of attention to detail within football academies but I, the way I see it is is lots of club environments not just specific to football um, cricket rugby lots of team sports there's often lack of joined up thinking so from a global perspective a club has too many facets it has the performance aspect or three the performance aspect the community aspect and the commercial aspect the way things are going you're never ever going to separate the commercialization of sport and its and performance because one helps to drive the other and vice versa but often what you can see is like a divergence in the philosophy. So what, what are we trying to achieve? Are we just trying to drive revenue up as much as we can? And therefore we have lots of short-sighted short or short-term goals, or are we really invested in performance and long-term development, both from a coaching perspective and, a, and a, an athlete or player perspective? Now, like I think those two elements need to come together to understand, well, we need to generate money to fuel our, our sports program but where's that money going and, and, and often you just don't find that happening you don't find um, people that are key in key positions head of performances head of academy performances and so on sitting down with, with finance directors and people that make big budgetary decisions you know it often gets funneled through an academy manager or um, a director of a football or director of sport and, and then what happens is streams of money start to funnel out to different areas. Well, you know, what happens if everyone just sat around a big table? If you just took away this hierarchical, well, you're an SNC coach, so you can't possibly be involved in the discussion. Yeah, but they're the people right at the product, the right at the, you know, dare I say at the coal face of what's going on. And they see the limitations of what's happening. When you're making budgetary decisions, you often don't get to see that happening. So you know, is there, is there potentially a mismatch between the out, what you're developing and what you're working on and how you're going about funding it? So, so for me, it, it, it's the very much easier said than done answer is, look, there needs to be a coming together of, you know, commercial, financial people and performance people to understand, well, what we're we trying to achieve. And to be fair, some organisations do that through, you know, Vmost and other other goal setting frameworks, if you like, but the mechanisms are always quite um, disconnected. And because they're disconnected, like it's difficult, someone, a coach or a practitioner will see where an improvement can be made, but the budget's not there and, and the money might be there, but it's just not directed in, in, that, in that direction. So 
I don't think it's a simple answer. Um, I do think it involves more people uh, from performance sections, if you like, sitting down and around the table with commercial and corporate people to understand, you know, the, the, cap the capacities that you have, the, um, what you're trying to achieve, how one event can support the other and so on. So, um, I mean, that's kind of maybe for the bigger clubs. I think when you're, people often say, well, that's great, but we just can't do that because we're a smaller club or we're an amateur club. And there, there is still a way, a way around that. I often think, and it's something we've spoken about before, you know, you tend to find your least experienced coaches working with your most vulnerable, vulnerable athletes, your academy players or academy athletes or junior athletes, and your most experienced guys and girls working with the more capable. Um, and something I always say to coaches, students, is be mindful that the athletes you're about to start training have spent more hours in the weights room, more hours on the pitch, and more recovery sessions than you have as a coach. So think about the knowledge and experience that they already have when you go to start delivering your sessions. The way of potentially around it is why not think about the resources that you already have in your environment? So you, you might have someone in your first team for thinking about team sports, you know, four or five years, um, maybe a senior coach earning a good salary, doing a good job. Why not second that person into the academy? Why not take one of your one of your less experienced coaches, maybe six months in, for one year into the job, put that person into the first team around the experienced head of performance or the experienced head SNC coach, around the experienced physios, and they can just do a job swap for a year, where your experienced person's gone into the academy. You know, a lot of head of a lot of academy lead, lead SNC coaches are they've got big responsibilities and they haven't got a lot of experience themselves. Well, they can lean on that experienced person who's spending every day with the, in the academy environment, helping them, supporting them to set up systems that they know transfer across into the first team. Your inexperienced coach is in and around the most extreme ends of performance in terms of um, commercial pressures, marketing pressures, performance pressures, and so on. And then, you know, they swap back over. You've got an experienced co inexperienced coach that's had a real sort of not baptism of fire, but a real exposure to some of the, the, the end products, what you're trying to achieve. They can take that back into the academy setting. You know, your academy environment's had a coach who's gone in, lots of experience can help support that environment. Now that doesn't cost a lot of money, but it does, it, it, it can challenge and pressure, pressure people's values because if the first team environment wants success, they want it tomorrow, people will be less, less willing to allow their good staff to go out out of the first team environment because there's pressure to win so that sort of thing can't be done in isolation the club the hierarchies at the club need to be aware of this kind of this this kind of job sharing if you like whereby the end goal is more experienced coaches without expensive cpd programs and so on but also you're now helping to draw a link between what the academy guys are trying to achieve and what the first team guys are trying to achieve because you're you're, you're blending staff between the two. So, <clears throat> you know, I guess going back to it on a big scale, it's the big, globally speaking, it's the environment coming together to talk about corporate and commercial aims versus performance aims and where, where the two can support each other. But for the clubs or environments that are just so small, um, people have many different roles, you know, even, it might be for pre-season, it might be for half a season, but you can definitely have an, an, this environment where more senior coaches 
drop back into academy setups and, and less experienced coaches go up into those performance environments. And as long as there's a, a bit of a pathway in terms of what you're trying to achieve, you, you never know what, what, what gems you might develop, but at minimum, you've just got a sharing of experience and, and, and knowledge. So. I really, really like everything that you've just said there, because it's funny because before you said um, coaching is uh, people, it's about knowing people, right? Understanding people. And the funny thing is, is in organizations, in sport, in teams, we're losing that connection through communications for di from different departments. So we're not talking to our senior coaches. We're not talking to the interns and things like that, just because there's a hierarchy within that. So that's what I really, really enjoyed about what you said is because we're, we're talking about coaches' relationships. We're talking about coaches' communication, yet it's not being conveyed in the right manner when it comes to the organizational structures. And it's funny as well, because you talk about job swapping, um, and it was like, when you bring a new person in, they've got fresh perspectives, they've got fresh ideas and probably some initiatives to programs you probably wouldn't have been able to think of, especially if you've been in that role for quite some time, right? Yeah. And, it, and it made me think back to, um, Mercedes actually did this within the organization. Now that's a big organization. It had mm -hmm. over a thousand people at the one factory and then over a thousand people at the engine um, mm -hmm. factory. And they consistently had interns come in during the university and spend a year out of university to learn from this high-end Formula One team. And, mm -hmm. and Formula One didn't then, you know, um, condition interns to go right we're only going to give you the bare minimum or we're only going to give you this you're only going to be a water boy you know or we're going to give you all of the protein shakes and all of the menial tasks no they they invested in those interns because yeah. it gave them that breadth of knowledge but vice versa the experienced people are having that knowledge exchange so I definitely feel that that's something that um teams probably haven't done as you've suggested but do you know of any academy cultures who maybe adopted this this is the point where i either make friends or lose friends no I, i'll try to remain nameless because i don't want to upset people but I, there are look we've, we've seen academies we've seen clubs that they, they've won awards for practitioner development for for you know one of my roles post being a, a a board member of UKSCA, which I still do, is I, I helped to set up our CPD program. And I'm still involved in it. And you see lots of coaches sending in really good frameworks, really good um, structures of how they go about developing staff. I think, yeah, like I prefer to, to, to not upset anyone too much. If you look at sports, like, so like I said, football with its e triple P systems kind of forced it a bit because you have your criteria that you have to hit, depending, particularly if you're a Cat One club, it kind of forces clubs to um, pay a bit more attention to how to develop staff. You know, the sports that are lacking behind, the other big sports, when you think about cricket, when you think about rugby union, um, rugby league, like the high performance system, is, the, is one of the biggest ones because 
how do you get people exposure to those environments in the performance aspect? And it, you know, we've got starting tonight or tomorrow the, the Commonwealth Games. Um, we've had the World Athletics Championships in America. We've got Olympics in Paris. You know, where are the future performance personnel coming from? Um, well, they're all over the UK. They're in football, they're in rugby, um, they're working in institute sport, they're working in HE sport. But where do they get that exposure? We've got the Commonwealth Games on our back door, um, depending on what part of the UK you live in. But where's that transfer of knowledge? Where's that opening the doors to allow um, a pathway scientist, a physiotherapist, an SNC coach to come into those environments and learn um, from people that are doing it, you know, who've been on their, their third or fourth Commonwealth Games? So I, I think there's a lot of joined up thinking we need to do as a, as a nation. Um, the problem tends to be is it's just not given enough attention to. So the NGBs typically need to demonstrate how they're setting up to win. And because of that, attention often goes to um, the top tier, to the, the head, the, you know, the, men, the senior men's team, the senior women's team. The problem no one seems to figure out is, is your, your performance is only good as your supply chain. So what's the supply chain like in cricket, in rugby, in, in high performance systems? And where are you supporting that with your development of your staff, of your coaches, of your practitioners? And it always makes, you know, it always seems to be at the moment, particularly with COVID, where lots of sports have faced commercial challenges and financial challenges. You know, if you're thinking about the next World Cup or the one after that, it will be people that are in the system, athletes and coaches, who are, who are under-resourced and, 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 and not really getting um, the support they need because everyone's thinking about how do we win this year? How do we win this league? How do we win with the, the group of players we've got now? And, it, and it's, it's a specialist task to sit back and ignore, you know, the senior squads, the senior environments, and step away from that and go, well, what's happening below that? Um, how diverse is our selection pool? How skilled and talented and diverse are our coaches, both um, in terms of practice and in terms of philosophy as well? So I think there's a lot of work to do in the UK. I would, I would love to see um, a movement where, you know, the five big sports get together and work on this, you know, cross-practitioner partnership. Um, there's a lot of knowledge to be learned. You know, we kind of go in swings and roundabouts. 20 years ago, you had to have only worked in your sport to be deemed an expert. <clears throat> then, and then we started to get cross-pollination of coaches and practitioners going into different sports. And that would seem to be the way forward. Nowadays, people are edging back to, well, if you've been out of a sport for more than a couple of years, you're now not seen as current. And so, you know, people will always have their individual mindsets towards that. I would love to see a situation where we've got um, multiple sports coming together to look at practitioner and coach development, how we can, you know, <clears throat> some of my biggest learnings have been from the technical people that I've spoken to in every sport, whether it's an engineer in motor racing or whether it's a physio in rugby or whether it's a coach in, in cricket. They all have different perspectives and they all have different um, <clears throat> views that you can learn from. So I guess to, to come back around to that question, I don't think we're doing enough, you know, as a, a sporting nation with the money that we've got available either in the high performance system or the, excuse me, the professional sports system. Like I think there's a lot more we could be doing. Wow, that was a, that was a big answer to a big question yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, 
So I'm on my last question, but I'm going to invite also our audience to think of any questions that you've got for Crofton. Please let me know. So after this one, I'll open the um, doors to anybody else who wants to grill you, basically. And um, just to summarize, um, for young coaches out there who are trying to benefit from rising through the ranks, how can they get ahead when it comes to developing their skill set and experience I know earlier you talked about going through the stages having an intention looking for opportunities elsewhere um and obviously then we talked about the culture and how the culture can change it's going to be progressive over time but is there something that can let young coaches know how they can develop their skill set um as well as you know the communication skills and things like that that you talked about earlier yeah for me <clears throat> self-reflection is something we don't do enough of. I think coaches are always asking the question, what next? Like, oh, I'm going to do my accreditation, then what should I do after that? Or I'm doing a master's degree, and what should I do after that? Or I'm going to this conference, and it's like, okay, great. Why don't you just stop for a second, just pause and reflect on what you've done already, um, A. And B, you know, self-reflection for a coach who's six months into a job is different from self-reflection for a coach who's 20, in their 20th season. When you're kind of six months in, your reflection is, well, where, where are my perceived strengths? Where are my perceived weaknesses in a nutshell? You could sit down at the end of the day <clears throat> when you're by yourself with a pen and paper, tablet, laptop, whatever your means are, and just write down, well, my strengths are this, my weaknesses are this, and the areas I haven't even touched on are this. <clears throat> when you've done that, go and find people or mechanisms where you can develop. So typical one for a lot of SNC coaches are, yeah, like I'm an SNC coach and I've got a job, but I'm not great at my rehab skills. Okay, well, <clears throat> make a list of that. There are some really good practitioners out there, both SNC and physios and doctors who spend their entire time in, in rehab. Go and learn from those people. <clears throat> um, you know, I'm really good in the gym. And I've, got, I've got some good skills of rehab, but I don't really know how to coach. Um, sprint technique because track and field or track's not something I really did a lot of. Okay, well, there are some, some really good sprint coaches out there that you could spend a winter, you could get a relationship with them, you can shadow and you can go and develop your skill set. So if you're going into the industry and you, you, you're, say, a year out from university, do you know what your limitations are? Do you know what your strengths are? And do you know the areas that you haven't even touched beyond a chapter in a textbook? Now, you know, someone like myself, I, I would sit there and I do, and I think we all do an element of reflection, but real deep, meaningful reflection is, is something that I just don't think we do enough of. And it's in, like, to some degree, I think the experienced coaches in our industry, we have to take, you know, some responsibility for that because we're all constantly, you go on social media <clears throat> and you're constantly hearing about, this is what you need to do to be a good coach. Like someone's recruiting the role, and oh, these are the skills that we're really like looking for. This is what you've got to do to get shortlisted. It's like, great, but what you're doing is you're setting people up to make your job a lot easier. Why don't you encourage someone to go away and reflect on what they feel they could bring to the table? And then by doing that, like you just allow them to develop better. So I think the one thing I would advise anyone is just self-reflection, the ability to just sit down even early on and go, right, I've, I've had three years of university or two years of a master's program what what have I gained from that what can I learn from that and what areas do I need to then go in and, and, and further enhance and so 
I think that's probably the main thing for me is, is just um, is self-reflection and a saying that's not mine, but I, I really like it is never hold on to a plan so tightly that you turn down a, a better one. Um, <clears throat> you know, you go into it thinking, well, as a coach, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to develop. And then all of a sudden you're just missing these great opportunities that fly past you. Uh, I think it's important to recognize, okay, if there's an opportunity for me to develop, take it. It might not be knowledge that you use now, but it might be knowledge that you reflect upon in five years time and becomes useful then. So, you know, I don't think people should always go around doing um, development projects or courses thinking that it's going to benefit you right here, right now. The benefits might come down the line when you're in a completely different environment, a completely different job that you didn't expect to be in. And then all of a sudden that that one area that you developed in two, three, four, five years ago comes around and it supports your, it will support you in that current job. So <clears throat> patience and, and self-reflection, I think it's the biggest thing that any coach can do, irrespective of whether you're six months in or six years into your, your career. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that, especially when it's when you said about self-reflection. I've always been a type of person to self-reflect from a very young age, but that's only because well, I like to rely on me. So it's like, what am I feeling? What am I going through? How do I process this? And then in turn, it's led me to self-reflect on career and things like that. And so it's funny that you talk about experience as well and holding on to a plan, you know, write the plan in pencil, right? Because anything can change as you're a coach, but also that applies to when you're looking at your two, five, 10 year plan. Um, And it was funny because if I didn't, say yes to a corporate role with Hinsa, I wouldn't have eventually got uh, um, into the motorsport role that mm-hmm. I did. Uh, you know, it was because I said yes to one thing and I and I carried on with my experiences with rugby, with skiing, athletes, and all these different um, experiences that led me to a position that was best fit for me at that time. Yeah. Um, and so I, I definitely think that even though you may be rigid in this is what I want to do. You could find something else in your pathway that suits you better. So it's actually just be open to that um, opportunity and um, experience. You know, just be open. You, you just don't know what what an opportunity might lead on to or who you might meet yeah. or, or who comes across your path or whose path you, you land across. And I think we it's a natural thing. I think everyone does it when they're a lot younger you have this linear thought process about your your life, your path. Um, some things happen good, some things happen bad, and it changes that. And so, I did, you know, I think it's important to just be open as a younger coach. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask, ask people yeah. questions, but have in mind, even loosely, well, what, what do I want to do? <clears throat> what do I want to achieve in the beginning? Mm-hmm. If something takes you on a slightly different path, go with the flow. Yeah. Because, you know, the universe has a strange way of bringing you back around to this, the place that you want to be in. It just might take you a different path. I love that. And just one final thing, because we've got a little bit more time. I just wanted to ask about days off and priorities. I remember we met a couple of years ago and as I mentioned and alluded to earlier in the conversation, you know, we tend to have that tunnel vision when we're a coach, especially when we're new and we may not have a partner or a family or kids to think about. There is a recent conversation that I had with one of the directors who made it um, an agenda 
to spend time for the summer holidays with his family because it, it doesn't happen very often. So they needed to be a little bit more um, rigid with their boundaries. And I know that you and I talked about this with your family as well. So how could we, you know, just prevent burnout from young coaches or being disillusioned by the industry by putting in boundaries early on when you're supposed to be working 12 hours and weekends and bank holidays? <laughs> it's, it's such a big question. Um... Yeah, I think everyone's experiences are, are different. I can only, the, the way I, the approach I tend to take now is actually as someone who manages people, what's my responsibility to you? And so, you know, in conversations, last week I was having conversations with, with one of my staff and it was like, look, I, I don't want to see you sitting here to X amount of time just because. Um, you should be smart enough and skilled enough if you're a senior coach or you're managing people to recognize when someone's you know productivity work if that's the phrase you want to use is high or if, if they're struggling and there are lots of analogies about leaders versus managers and i don't think it's as black and white as that like everyone's got their own interpretation like you know in the end people are people and so it's your interest to know what their interests are um and you get some senior coaches that you know they're under pressure to perform and if they if they don't perform they're out of a job and the way that translates sometimes into a, to a younger coaches look i just don't have time you either do it or you're out the door because if they don't do it they're out the door and like it's a it's a type of situation i like to think sport can change because in the end when you're when you're managing a program when you're leading people you've got their you're responsible for them and I'd never like to think, I can, I'm sure there have been situations where my advice, my information has not been, it's not made a positive difference to someone, but it's not done them any harm. So, you know, I was raised with the, the mindset of, you know, if you can't do someone a good turn, don't do them a bad one. You know, like you are supposed to be able as a senior coach or as a head of, shield your staff, your people from that to some degree and give them the confidence, you know, the, the, the posh term psychological safety but the idea is that people can express themselves make mistakes in that environment and they have some protection from you if you're the one that they need protection from you shouldn't be in your job like that that's you know i don't care what manager brings you in i don't care how experienced you are how many trophies you want if you're the one that your staff are scared of like it's you know it goes back to what i said in the beginning we are there as developers of people whether, you, whether it's the athlete or the coach or the practitioner. So that's your responsibility. That's why you're paid the big bucks in the end is you're, you're supposed to have that ability and that wisdom and that skill to do all of those things, to get performances, to put structures in place, to develop staff, you know, staff, you know, apologies for the overly used quote, but, you know, the Richard Branson staff should be trained well enough to leave, but treated well enough that they want to stay. Well, I can think of environments where people were treated so well and weren't paid that well, but the environment was good. And I, and I have, I literally can think of these at opposite where the environment you paid quite well, but people are climbing over each other to get out the door. So in the end, you choose what type of leader you want to be. Um, and you, you have to own that. So yeah, I'd like to think, um, I'm sure not all of my advice has always been helpful to someone's situation, but I'd like to think I've never done anyone any harm. 
um, by what I'm doing. And, and I think that, again, that goes back to self-reflection. There's a values in that. So if you see a member of staff and they're working really hard and they're, they're always in late or they're always coming in early and staying late or you've, it's like, no, that's not, you shouldn't be doing that, okay? It's, it's not good enough to say, well, it's okay because I'm young, free and single. So we'll go and find, go out and become, get in, a, get in a relationship, do something. So I think the emphasis to sort of answer your question, it has to be on the person leading the programme because you set the tone. You, you, you know, if you, if you make your staff feel like they have to put in loads of extra hours, they'll do it, but they'll be unhappy doing it. And then they may in five years time be out of the programme or be out of sport entirely. Um, it's your responsibility to make sure that you, you, set that, you set them up so that they are enjoying the environment as much as they can do. And at the same time, they're, they're producing results because they're good, they're good coaches, they're good at what they do. If you're not doing that, then that's a question you need to ask yourself in terms of what type of leader, what type of values you have. Difficult question, unpopular-ish opinion, maybe, I don't know, but you know, if you're not able to do that, then you have to question why you're in the role that you're in, in, in my opinion anyway, so. No, I love that. And it's funny because we're here to talk about long-term athletic development, which we do. And we were talking about grassroots and elite sports, but actually it's long-term coaches development mm -hmm. too. And if we don't have good coaches or we're, we're um, uh, negating their health and well-being, well, then they're not going to produce the good results that they could possibly give right they could be um leaving the industry entirely and that's not good for the young athletes that we want to coach or the elite athletes that will eventually be coached so this conversation has been absolutely incredible the time has gone so fast and i do appreciate all of the golden nuggets of information and the brilliant quotes that you dropped in uh, throughout today um, yeah, just giving you a massive thank you and hopefully we'll see you on here soon for something else, um, discussing more <laughs> about another coaches. Another subject. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not so hard hitting. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you very much. If it's useful, it's useful. If it's not, you know, um, um, you know, you, you offer up the information you have and if people find it useful, then great. But uh, yeah, always open to uh, learning new things. So thank you for having me. But I always find as well, like you said earlier, you may be learning something now and it may be not useful until a lot later on. And yeah. sometimes people can read or listen to conversations like this and it may not resonate and they could listen to it again in the future and then the penny drops. So it's something like, it's like that. It's like they may not be in a situation where this resonates, but eventually it could prove useful so yeah. it's definitely proved useful for me and it's been a pleasure to speak to you and i will speak to you soon crofton thank you very much Tosh. take care take care bye thanks for listening to the podcast if you've enjoyed this episode we'd love your support by leaving a rating or review on your chosen podcast player you can also find us on social media using at ltad network Thanks for listening to this episode and don't forget to get your seven day free trial to our online platform as well as 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50.